Wow, what a great song to start off our worship this morning. And I've got a question for you guys. And if you are on our Facebook Live, you have a chance to answer this question. So I'm going to pose this survey question. You know that we're in our series. This is the last Sunday for it. It's God's People, uh, a Biblical Response to Racism, right? So in light of our topic, I want to ask you a question. As you look around in our community today, as you look around America today, in October of 2020, where are we in this regard? Do you believe that we are uh, doing well at racial healing and reconciliation? Do you think or do you believe that we are doing well at racial healing and reconciliation? Or do you still think we have a long way to go? We would love to hear your opinion. Please offer it as a response in our Facebook Live. Amber is there to host, and she will address uh, your comments and your questions. Um, let me go to, to this right here and remind us what these messages are and what these messages are not. This message today is not about politics. This message today is not about police and what our opinion is uh, of the police. I'll tell you what these messages are about. They are about what God thinks about racism and injustice. And God has some very strong opinions about the way that we treat one another. You know, Jesus says the, one of the greatest commandments is love our neighbor as ourself. So if we're not loving our neighbor as yourself, if we're not treating others the way we would like to be treated, then we are falling short. And if we're falling short in this area of racism and injustice and inequity and discrimination and prejudice, then we do still have a long way to go. Uh, I want to uh, show you a little graphic. Uh, I'll show you my little junior high version of, uh, <laughs> of graphics. Um, but this is uh, reconciliation in two dimensions. Just a reminder that reconciliation began with God. God was in the world, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians, God was in the world reconciling us to himself through Christ, and then he has committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. So the first making peace between two parties that were at enmity with each other came between God and us, and God took the first step. And now that we are reconciled to God through our faith in Jesus Christ, God says, I want you to now look horizontally, look at all the human beings to your right and to your left, and you are to love your neighbors yourself. You are to be reconciled with them, and you are to help join the Lord Jesus in his mission to reconcile all people to God through Christ. As we communicate the, the message of reconciliation, as God makes us his ambassadors, we will fulfill that mandate to bring reconciliation and God's justice and righteousness into this world through your life and through my life. Now, here's what's so great about the Bible. The Bible is the most multi-ethnic, multi-racial, uh, diverse book in the world today. You can see all kinds of people groups. No more so than the book of Acts chapter 2. There are 15 different ethnic groups represented. Jews who were God-fearing Jews from all over the Roman Empire came to Jerusalem that day. They found that God was meeting them there. The Holy Spirit was poured out and God supernaturally gave his followers the ability to communicate the good news of Christ in their own native tongue. 
as if their own mama was whispering in their ear. So this is a reminder of our purpose. Now that God has reconciled us to him, he wants us to join in the ministry of reconciliation. We as Christ followers are made to follow Jesus. As we follow Jesus, we are to become like Jesus. And that means that you are supposed to become more like Jesus. How would Jesus forgive? How would Jesus talk to somebody? How would Jesus treat somebody? It, be more like Jesus in the way that you think, in the way that you act, even in the way that you feel. You know, as, as Jesus saw people that were hurting or estranged or marginalized or getting rejected by other people in society, Jesus reached out to those people and showed them compassion. He showed them that they mattered to God. And if we start following Jesus like that, we too can start doing what Jesus does. I want, I want to show you the, uh, slide number six. Uh, Christian, oh, I, I think I just did that. We're, we're to follow Jesus, become like Jesus, and then start doing what Jesus does. So uh, in order for reconciliation to occur between human beings and racial and ethnic groups, there has to involve a number of things. And this is, this is how reconciliation works out. When it works out the way God wants it to, reconciliation is a beautiful thing. It involves forgiveness and repentance and justice. First of all, it involves forgiveness. That means that we recognize that God has forgiven us. He's canceled the debt of our sin to him. And he says, now that I've forgiven you, I want, to for I want you to forgive everyone around you. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're reminded of that. Forgive us of our sins just as we forgive those who sin against us. Reconciliation begins with forgiveness. First, God's forgiveness toward us. And then he says, pass it on. Repentance. Repentance means turning around. It means going a different direction. It actually means turning around from whatever direction you were walking in back toward God repentance and saying, Lord, I've been acting this way, but I know it's not the Jesus way. I know it's not the way you want me to. I'm going to repent and turn away from that and start walking in the steps, Jesus, that you want me to. And then to bring justice, then to bring justice into this world. That's what God wants us to bring, where everyone is treated fairly, where no one has, uh, where there's no society where there are the haves and the have-nots, no society where there are the people who are the favored or the disfavored, the ones who always get the best of everything and the other ones who are marginalized and who are pushed over to the side and say, well, you can have some of the leftovers, but that's all you get. Reconciliation restores broken relationships and systems and brings them back in, in our families, in our communities, in our government, in our world, um, in our schools, in our workplaces. It brings broken relationships back to a place of restoration so that all creation can flourish. All creation can flourish. That is what God's intention is. Now, let me show that to you with a Bible verse. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, it is a great verse that shows God's overarching plan. You say, what was, what was God about uh, in his plans to change the world around by sending Jesus Christ? What was God up to? Because it's, it's interesting, when you read the Gospels, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it talks about Jesus being the incarnated uh, God the Son coming into our world, 
And he's coming into our world to make it better. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And then Jesus goes to Jerusalem that final week of his life and he's tried and he's convicted as a criminal for insurrection against Rome. Pontius Pilate, you know, sentences him to death. He dies on a cross uh, in Golgotha, the place of the skull. He's put in a tomb. And then three days later, he rises from the dead and he says, all authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations. So you get the story itself, but you don't always get the explanation of what the story means. So when you read letters like Paul's letter to the Ephesians, now we're getting a behind-the-scenes look of saying, what was God all about by sending Jesus and having him go through all that suffering and passion for us so that he could reconcile us to God? Let's go to Ephesians right here, chapter 2. It says in verse 12, remember that at that time, you, now when it says you there, it's not just you individual, it's you as a group of Gentiles. You go back to verse 11 and it says Paul is talking about as for you Gentiles. Gentiles is anybody who's not Jewish. So if you're not Jewish, you qualify as a Gentile. At that time, you Gentiles, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You're starting to feel like an outsider now. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. It's sort of a, a picture of outsiders looking in. Here's God's favored people. Here's God's chosen people, the Jews, the, peop the sons of Israel. And they were God's favored people. At that time, before Christ, the Gentiles were on the outside looking in excluded from citizenship, foreigners to the covenants and the promise, and the promise. The Gentiles were not part of the covenant with God. They were without hope, without God in the world. And everything changed now in verse 13. And he says, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, go back to that slide, please. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once Far away, now you Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There was something that happened when Jesus died on the cross that benefited not only the Jews of this world, but all the rest of the ethnic and people groups of the world too. And that's what God accomplished through Christ. The next slide, please. Then it says, so now in verse 14, for Christ himself, Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two groups, remember what the two groups are? The Jews, the chosen people of God in the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and then the Gentiles, the rest of the world, who before Jesus were on the outside looking in. But now he says, but in Christ, he is our peace, who's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. Jesus destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and Gentiles, between, hey, we're the people of God and you're not. You can never be the people of God because you're not a blood descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're the chosen people, ha <laughs> ha. You know, and the Gentiles are like, well, sorry, I, 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 can't, I can't control into what family I was born in. Genetically, I had no control over that. And, and now through Jesus, God says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish by background. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile and born into a family that's far, far away from the people of God. It says, in Christ Jesus, he's bringing the two groups together. He's knocking down, destroying the dividing wall of hostility, setting aside in his flesh 
the law with its commandments and, re and regulations. And so Jesus is doing all that. It's, a, it's an amazing accomplishment of what Christ actually did for us on the cross. And then you get down to his purpose. So now, you, it, now he says, okay, this is why I'm doing it. This is why Jesus came to earth and went to the cross for us. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace. In other words, there's no haves and have-nots. There's no people of God, not people of God. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And it's an amazing unity with diversity. Unity with diversity. That's going to be a major theme today. So Jesus made peace between two hostile groups, brought them together in his one body to reconcile both of them to, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. For through him, through Jesus, we both, whether you're Gentile or Jew, doesn't matter. We both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now, it's interesting when I say that because later on, Paul continues in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, and he says, you know what, guys? Just a reminder that you're one in Christ Jesus, no matter what your background is, what ethnic group you belong to, male or female, whether you're a favored person in society or you're marginalized and you're on the outside looking in. He says, you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Christ, Savior, Messiah, one body, one spirit, and one God and Father of all. And that unifies us. We are a people of diversity, but we have unity through our common faith in our Savior Jesus. So just a few key points to remind you of what God was talking about there. Remember, to the Gentiles, uh, got, and this is good news for them, and this was in the first century. These were the very first generation of people to hear this good news. Now we have 2,000 years of Christendom, and we think, well, of course everybody who's in Christ is part of the family of God. This was big news to the Jews and big news for the Gentiles in that time. Once you Gentiles, you were far away, but now you've been brought near right? You were on the outside, excluded, marginalized, castaways, you know, didn't matter, you know, uh, the, the favored people of society were over here, but you were over there. And he says, now you've been brought near because of Jesus. Christ himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility through the cross, right? And why did Jesus do that? to create in himself one new humanity, one new humanity out of the two, unity in diversity. And through Jesus, we both, whether no matter what background you are, we both have access to the Father the same way. The ground is level, Billy Graham used to say, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So wherever you come from, whatever back background you have, you can belong to the family of God. You can stop asking yourself, am I right with God? What's going to happen when I die? Uh, am I in uh, a right relationship? If God the Creator wants to have a relationship with me, have I responded to Him in the way that He's asked me to respond? Have you put your trust in Jesus? 
That's what it's all about. Because when you do, you become unified with all the other Christ followers in the world. You are now a citizen of heaven. You, are, you now have citizenship in God's family. And the gateway, the door is through your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I hope you've taken that step of faith in your life. It changes you forever. When that happens, when that reconciliation with God happens and the two hostile groups that, uh, that the two groups that were separated from one another are now brought together under the banner of Christ, what's supposed to happen then, now that God has reconciled us to himself vertically, what's supposed to happen horizontally is that reconciliation is supposed to spill over into societal justice and fairness and peace and human flourishing among everybody. Where, and so when you look around and you say, well, here's, a, here's an area I see where people are not flourishing. If there's an area where people are not flourishing, where there is injustice, where there's unfairness, if you see a place where people are getting discriminated against, that's not human flourishing. There's no, there's no deep reconciliation that has taken place yet. Flourishing is helping everyone experience peace with God and uh, not and in order to create a fair society. So think of human flourishing this way. Think about you and your own people, your own family. What you want for your own people, God wants for all people, right? If you're a patriotic America, you know, you say, God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her with the light, through the night with the light from above, right? So you say, I want God to bless America. What you, what you want as a patriotic America, American, God wants for all people on this planet. What, take it down to a smaller level. What I want for my family, I want my family to flourish. I want my kids to grow up with educational opportunities. I want, I want to see them meet their God-given potential. I want my family to flourish. What you feel for your family, God feels for every family. He wants everybody to flourish. He wants everyone to reach their God-given potential. So when we see places where people's ability to reach their God-given potential is thwarted or blocked or obstructed by some system in society that is holding them back, there's where injustice is, there is where reconciliation needs to move and to take place. Because what is the definition of justice? How do we create justice in our society? You remember from, we talked about it a few weeks ago, from that prophet Micah, right? Micah 6.8, what does the Lord require of you? but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And when you do that, you're acting toward reconciliation. You're acting toward justice in society and racial human flourishing. The definition of justice is this, a means of equal distribution of power and privilege among all people. There are no people in society that have any more privilege or have any more power or have any more access to the corridors of power in society. Nobody has any leg up on anybody else as far as, as far as the equality of opportunity in a society. If a society really has that, you can say there is justice working then in society. What is discipleship? 
Back to discipleship. As we follow Jesus, discipleship means as you and I follow Jesus, we're learning to practice the righteousness and justice and the unconditional love of God, and we're spreading that into a broken world. We are looking around for places in society that are broken, in need of God's repair, in need of reconciliation, and we're saying, what can we do to help change that and make it better? Here's an, uh, an explanation. Um, there's this great book that I've been reading. It's called Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0. If you thought the 1.0 version was great, 2.0 is so much better even. You know, they were written about four or five years apart. Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil is the author. She's a, a professor at Seattle Pacific University. She is an activist for racial reconciliation. And she created this roadmap to reconciliation. And I saw this on page 41 of the book. And I said, I have to share this with you because this is a great graphic. And I hope you can see it because it gives a great explanation of when you and I begin this road toward reconciliation, what is this roadmap going to look like? And what are some of the markers on the way? Just as if, if you were traveling up to Portland, Oregon, you say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go from Sebastopol to Port to Portland, Oregon, and I need to map it out. I need to see what highways I'm going to take and how I'm going to get there. You wouldn't just see where you are now and then see Portland. You would want to see the steps and the places and the highways and the turns you're going to make on the way in order to reach your destination. In order to reach full reconciliation in our society, this is a roadmap. These are some of the steps that we need to take. Now, where do we begin? You know, there you are, um, Julie Andrews, start in the beginning. It's a wonderful place to start. Reconciliation uh, begins with two steps. Um, it starts with where you and I are in a place of isolation. It starts where you and I are in a place where we're trying to preserve, to cling to what we have. Um, let's go back one slide, please. Can we do that? All right. The, the slide before, right after the map before, okay? It's got isolation. It, the goal is preserving what we know and what we believe. We talked about that last week, right? We're, the, that is an area where most of us start. We've grown up in a certain society. We've grown up in a certain family. We have these values. We don't know whether they jive or whether they correspond or agree with God and his values or not. This is just the place that we were raised. And because we were raised in this, we kind of think of it as right versus wrong. If you do it our way, you're right. If you think another way, you're wrong. And we, and we have to compare it to God's values and to say, hey, if the family values that I was raised with, if they contradict what God is saying in his word, where he's trying to create one society out of all the people groups in the world, everybody unites under, under the banner of the Lordship of Christ. And I'm saying that there's haves and haves nots and my group's better than your group and my family's better than your. If I have that attitude, then I have to start there, recognize that attitude of, of preservation and isolation. Preservation is this. We tend to cling to, to hold fast to the things that make us comfortable. Everybody does this. But when we hold too tightly, when we refuse to interact with others outside of our own circle, then that is what I call being in a state of preservation. Most of us begin the reconciliation process in this place of preservation. 
and isolation. We try to preserve the values and ways of life that define us. This is what makes us us, right? And then, so, so if we, we all start in that position, how do we break out of that position? Well, we break out of that position not because necessarily we're reading the Bible and we say, oh, here's what God thinks. I need to think differently. That can happen for a lot of people. But what happens for most people in society is it takes a major crisis. It takes a catalytic event in your life and my life that breaks us out of our preservation isolation mode. It, it, it brings a new worldview and it throws, us, it throws that new idea and worldview right in front of us and it says, you're going to have to think about this and you're going to have to deal with this. It shakes up your world, shakes up your assumptions about people of other races and ethnicities. It can bring, and here's the thing about catalytic events. You say, oh, that must be a good thing because it starts us on the road to reconciliation. Well, yeah, a catalytic event is used by God to bring us toward the road to reconciliation. But that catalytic event is often seen when it first happens. It's terrible. It's awful. It's mind-bending. It, it can bring confusion and discomfort. I mentioned last week, I thought one of the catalytic events in America this year in 2020, and I believe it happened in May, up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, was the killing of George Floyd right there on the streets of Minnesota, where apparently he was tried uh, judge, jury, and executioner right there on the streets of Minneapolis. And that was a very sad thing. And unfortunately, it, it, it was videoed and we all got to see it. And we all said, look, if that's, if that's an example of justice, then we are messed up and we've got to do things better in our country. We've got to have a new way of thinking when it comes to how policing is done on the street and how people are treated and, uh, you know, not to have somebody tried and executed right there on the street when they're supposed to be, if they've broken the law, they're just supposed to be arrested, brought into jail, brought to trial and have the whole justice system work out that way. Give everybody an equal opportunity for justice is the point. That catalytic event stirred up a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of protest, a lot of discomfort, and it, brought, it brings many of us out of our comfort zone, out of the preservation zone. So let's go to the next slide. So on that roadmap to reconciliation, uh, Dr. McNeil talks about four steps, four steps that bring us ultimately to a place where you and I are working together to repair broken systems that we see in our world today. But how do we get there? Well, it starts, number one, realization. Realization, we are discovering a new reality. We say, whoa, 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 that's not fair treatment. That is unjust. God says, I want you to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. When you see injustice, you can't just look away and walk away. You, have, you are compelled to do something about it. So you have a realization, discovering a new reality. And each of these steps... These four steps, they're entire chapters in Dr. McNeil's book, and there's so much more to talk about, but I'm just mentioning them now. I'm recommending the book to you for further reading and study, The Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0 by Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. So after realization comes the next step, which is identification. 
which is you enter into the suffering of a people that have been discriminated against and marginalized. You saw it in the 1960s when white pastors and clergy and Christians would stand and march with the black community as they were, as they were non-violently protesting for civil rights. That would be an, 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 a definite step of identification. Your people become my people. If, if you are in danger by going on this march to Selma, Alabama, then I am also going to march with you even if it puts me in danger. I'm identifying. Your people become my people. Maybe the, those words remind you of the book of Ruth. You remember that story where Ruth, who was an outsider, she was a Moabitess. She was not part of God's covenant community. She was not in the Jewish race like her mother-in-law Naomi was, right? So Ruth marries the son of Naomi. The son dies. Naomi has her husband and, son, and two sons. They both die in the land of Moab where they had migrated to. And Naomi says, well, there's nothing left for me here. I'm just going to go back to my own hometown of Bethlehem in Israel. And I'm leaving. Goodbye, girls. Have a nice life. And uh, one of the girls goes back to her family. The other daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess, which the author says over and over just to remind you, she's not an Israelite. She's a foreigner. She's an outsider, but God is going to bring her in to God's family because God desires reconciliation. So Ruth is, is wanting to go to Naomi. Naomi says, you can't go back to my people. You need to stay with your people. And Ruth says, no, I am identifying with you so much. The God that you've taught me, I believe in Yahweh. I want to follow him. I'm willing to submit to his laws and his regulations for my life. I know I'm not an Israelite, but I want to be part of God's family. And that outsider Moabitess Ruth, she said to Naomi, Wherever you go, Naomi, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will become my people. Your God will become my God. I'm identifying with you, Naomi. I'm leaving that old life behind. I'm now going to be part of God's people. So in identification, you see the plight of a certain group of people who are being mistreated, and you said, that is unacceptable. And I'm not just going to say, well, that, that's a problem in our society. That should really change. No, now you're, you're diving into them emotionally. Your compassion is welling up, and you're saying, your people are going to become my people. Then there's preparation. Preparation means getting ready for lasting change. Dr. McNeil talks about most people on this road to reconciliation following this roadmap. They say where, they, where most people get stuck is right here in this, in, in this area because they're getting ready for lasting change, but they're not willing to pay the price for lasting change. They just, they want change to occur, but it's going to take more effort than they thought it would. Um, and, and in order to get to the next step, you've got to be willing to say, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in this if I have to suffer, if I have to go without, if I have to be misunderstood by my own people because I'm trying to identify with this uh, people that's being mistreated, then so be it. And then you finally get to activation. Activation is the ultimate goal of reconciliation. Reconciliation is bringing uh, disparate groups together, bringing them together to make peace with God and also to make peace with others and to bring justice into areas that are broken, systems that are broken, repairing broken systems together. 
An acti activation would be like this. It would be, uh, there, there was a, uh, an example given in the book, and they said, you know, what do we do uh, in the black communities in the South? They grew up, a, a lot of the older uh, black people in the South, they grew up marginalized. They grew up uh, saying that you can't vote, you're not allowed to vote, or that if you are allowed to vote, you have to have a certain educational system, or you have to pass a certain test, or you have to pay a certain ta tax. And, it, and so the structures were set up to keep blacks from voting in the South. And they said, so what would reconciliation look like? Reconciliation wouldn't just be, no, now every single person in America has the right to vote, no matter what race or skin color you are. If you're 18 years of age, you can vote. And that's one step toward reconciliation. But an activation step for reconciliation wouldn't just be saying to the older blacks in the South who'd been prevented from voting in the past, it wouldn't just be saying, well, now you can go and vote. So, you know, go for it. You know, activation would be saying, hey, wait, if you don't have a ride to the polling place, tell me, I will give you a ride. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come make sure that you get to the voting place so that you can cast your vote like you have a right to as an American citizen, no matter what your skin color is. There's an example of activation, of actually doing something about it. Reconciliation is God's language for a broken world. Disciple-making restores uh, other people to God's original intention for them. It brings people to an area of human flourishing. In order to do that, friends, you and I, we have to go outside the boundaries of our own cultural comfort zones in order to accomplish this goal. We're going to have to do this. Now, it's very interesting we start with preservation, we move to uh, realization, there's, there's actually inequity, injustice, discrimination in this world, I don't like it, it's ugly, it's not God's intention at all, he desires everybody to flourish, I have to do something about it. Very interesting that as God's people are trying to relate rightly with God and trying to figure out what God wants them to do in this world, that a lot of people, uh, like the Old Testament people in the story that I'm going to tell you, a lot of people think that it's all about my own private religious relationship with God, right? If I'm fasting, if I'm praying, if I am uh, uh, trying to act the way God wants me to act in my world, I'm just fine with God. It's all about the religious rituals. It's not about the horizontal relationship between me and other people in society. And God told the people in Isaiah's day, he, he was actually saying to them, he says, you know what? You think you're right with God. You think you have the sacrifices. You go to the temple. You fast. You offer an animal on the altar to God, and you think that's going to please God. And then you think, now that I've done my religious duty, I can go out in my world and treat other people however I want to treat them, and I don't have to love my neighbor as myself. And God says, wait a minute wait a minute, you think you're right with God acting that way? I don't think so. Look what Isaiah says in chapter 58. He's talking about fasting. He's talking about praying. He's talking about sacrificing. And God's voice is, is to his people right here. And he's saying, you really want to get right with God? You really want to please God in your life? He says, is this not the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? 
Fasting and going without food and praying is a good thing, but it cannot stop right there. And then he says, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. Friends, does that not remind you when Jesus was in the, the synagogue in Nazareth and he was saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to do all kinds of things. And many of the things that Jesus said as Messiah that he was going to do are the very things Isaiah is talking about 700 years before Christ to God's people saying, you really want to please God? You need to loose some chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke, etc., etc. You really want to get right with God? He said, is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them? If you do away, so, so now, now God is saying, look, if you start acting right and loving your neighbor as yourself, treating others the way you would like to be treated, if you do away with the yoke of oppression and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then what's going to happen? God's saying, I'll tell you, you're not only going to get right with me, God says, then your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like the noonday. What an amazing promise for people who say, what does the Lord require of me? It's not just sacrifices. It's not just fasting. It's acting justly, setting the oppressed free, loosing the chains of injustice, um, treating others the way God wants them to be treated, the way we want others to treat us. So getting right with God, he says, your light is going to shine in the darkness. Your night's going to become like the new day, the noonday. And look at this final promise at the end of this passage. It says in verse, in verse 12, it says, you will be called the repairer of broken walls. You will be called the restorer of streets with dwellings. The repairer of broken walls. Does that not ring an echo in your ears talking about repairing broken systems together. When you get into the activation state on the road to reconciliation, you will start being active in repairing broken systems together. And Isaiah says that's when your light is really going to shine in the world that you live in. Friends, we are called by God to help repair what is broken. That's why you and I have to care about issues of injustice today, issues like immigration, like mass incarceration, issues about fair housing, about education reform, issues that are unjust that, that have to do with economic exploitation, issues that have to do with racial profiling. Any of these issues can be issues where you could, you could see where there's injustice, right? And you say, why do we have to care about these things? Because each one of these issues, they have to do with the overall theme of social injustice. They have to do with the overall theme of there are broken systems in our society and God is calling us as ministers of reconciliation to go out and repair those broken walls right? We have to address these issues. Friends, to work for reconciliation is to repair broken systems together. You need to care about it too. I need to care about it because why? Because God's desire is for everyone to flourish, every human being to flourish. So we go to that graphic. 
Thank you, Amber, for creating that graphic, the help graphic, right? H-E-L-P, each of the letters stands for something, right? In how do we help become a repairer of broken walls? How can we get active in this ministry of reconciliation? We H, we humbly listen. E, we educate yourself. Maybe you get a copy of that book, The Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0 by Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. Educate yourself. L, love your neighbor. Act like Jesus said was not the priest that passed on the other side of the road, not the Levi that looked at the person who was nearly half dead, beaten and left for dead by these robbers, not just going by and not doing anything about it. But no, you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Act like the good Samaritan. Act like somebody who nobody expected to stop and show compassion to a Jewish man who'd been hurt because the Jews and the Samaritans at the very best didn't get along with each other back in that day. And Jesus points out that a Samaritan who showed compassion, who was the person acting like that man's neighbor? Go and do likewise. Love your neighbors yourself. And then finally, the last letter, the P, persist in taking action. Persist in, pay, in taking action. The Galatians 6 passage says... Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, if you keep on doing good and don't give up, if you're active in, in reconciliation and being active as a repairer of broken systems in our society, then at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. So, as we have opportunity, what can you do about it to say, I want to have that kind of opportunity? How can you open up opportunities like that? Well, friends, in conclusion, I, I say that you and I can do this. You pray, you look to God, and you say, Lord, give me your eyes to see. Give me discernment. God, what do you want me to help repair? And then you start looking around at your world. You begin to see places. God, show me where there's places of injustice. Show me where there's unfair practices. Show me where people are being marginalized and left out, and they don't have the equal opportunity that they should have. Look around, see places and systems that need some real changes, and then you activate, you start committing to the work so you can help become an, a repairer of the broken walls. And in doing so, you're working for reconciliation, you're working for human flourishing. And when we repair broken systems together, this is slide number 29, when we repair these broken systems together, we will have a deeper fellowship. We'll actually say, this is awesome because we're on this road to reconciliation together. We're being active together. We're identifying with people who are hurting and we're saying, those people are becoming our people and we're gonna commit to do something about it. And when we do something about it together, the people that we're active and making this world better with together, we have a deeper fellowship because fellowship springs from a shared mission. We're on that mission together to reconcile everybody to God and to bring human flourishing into our world. And when we do that, we will help Jesus' vision come true. The vision that Jesus gave John in the book of Revelation when he looked and saw millions of people worshiping God from all over the world, all walks of life, all skin colors, all different cultural backgrounds. 
I saw before me a multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne of God, before the Lamb, that's Jesus, saying, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Lord, we say your kingdom come, your will be done. What that vision is right there in heaven, we need to help bring to earth. We need to bring God's kingdom and reconciliation here among our community where we live and have influence in our world. Lord, your kingdom come. The reality that's in heaven, Lord, bring that to earth under the lordship of Christ. When we do, we're going to see greater unity in diversity. Friends, I hope you commit to that goal because it's a worthy goal. It's worthy of your life and living for. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to be active travelers on your road to reconciliation. Lord, please show us where we are being isolated, where we're just trying to preserve ourselves and our own way of life, maybe some of the old thought patterns, some of the old values that we have, Lord. Please show us what they are. If they're not of you, would you break them and help us to see other people the way that you see them? Lord, help us to uh, look out at our world and say, where can we promote human flourishing? Where can we help repair broken systems together? And in doing so, Lord, we're going to fulfill your will for this world to bring everybody together and flourish together under the Lordship of Christ. Lord, we long for that unity in diversity. Break down the walls of hostility wherever they are in our hearts. And help us to be open to you, to wherever you lead us and guide us. May everything we do and say be for your honor and for your glory. And may Jesus' kingdom flourish here in this earth. In your name we pray. Amen.